What's up, everyone? This is Short-Term High Volatility Investments, episode 6.2, and we are coming at you with a quick recap of the first four playing games, um, and then diving into analysis of day two, round one. So a couple picks, two picks for Saturday, something good to key in on, and then we finish up with a little bit of bracketology for March Madness. Enjoy the show. is 1.37 p.m. Stories of hustle and grind from the intersection of culture, style, music, and sports. Check, check, one, two. It's your main man. She's live here with Aunt Latino, the odds fellow, and old man who bets back in action. It's March Madness. It's the greatest time of the year. Coming off a pretty good play-in day. We're here to talk about Saturday's games. Aunt, talk to me. How's it going? It's vacation day. It hasn't felt like vacation day because I've been doing a lot of uh, kid watching, but you know we're still working. We're still grinding. We are still finding those profits. And we wanted to get you guys a special little two-parter. We're calling it episode 6.2 for those that are following at home because we got right day two, Saturday of round one, and we want to make sure we get you guys a few winners there. So we're going to have some fun. Amen. And looking at the notes here, it looks like we have a house divided, the old man versus the odds fellow. Never liked to do that. But hey, that's the beauty of sports betting. People see different things at different teams and somebody's got to win. So at this point, we can guarantee that one of us will have a Profit. winner off of this off of this podcast. You just, you just have to pick the right one. I'll, I'll be honest. I don't think my head-to-head record against the old man is, is too strong, but it doesn't and happen often. Any given Saturday, I think, is what the expression goes. That's right. That's right. I looked at your notes. seems like you've got some good points, so uh, yeah, yeah. we'll see how it goes. And if yeah. we don't come to a resolution, we're just going to have to hop out back and get a good old-fashioned locker box in. Fair enough. But we did want to start with a little recap of the playing games that uh, Jeff mentioned. They were fun, right? A nice little start to the tournament, kind of that traditional we're used to the Thursday format. A Thursday, Friday format for round one. So you still got a little bit of that with four games all at the same place in Indy and the, and the way they kind of structured it for COVID reasons. Um, interestingly enough, you know, on episode 6.1, we had talked about the factor potentially of these guys shooting in this larger stadium arena setting, uh, something maybe they weren't used to and you didn't see in the earlier rounds of the playing games uh, in the past. Um what we weren't expecting was that to come right out the gate with a, a little bit of a hot trend, so maybe something to watch. First half unders went three and one. Full game unders went three and one. Uh, so something to think about, Jeff. I know you jumped on a few midway through. Yeah, jumped on after watching game one and two, where what it was thirty to twenty at the half for Texas Southern, uh, and then Wichita Drake. I mean, it was like sixteen six with like seven minutes to go. I think it was like three for eighteen and yeah. five for twenty. And that was a wild play. one because when you looked at the totals for for these four playing games, that was the highest total sitting around one forty five. You know, one forty one forty one. So the mm -hmm. first half, you know, uh, total was probably sitting around seventy. Yeah, for sure. And you know, that one, one one was a little weird for me, just in the sense that you know Hemphill was coming back and you know hadn't played in a while. Their team was way better with him on there. Uh, on there, you know, I think a difference between, I think it was something like an eighteen point average margin of win versus like zero. Uh, obviously, the, the the second half of the year they played some tougher tougher competition, so it's a little noisy there. But uh, I mean, those teams were ice cold. And even if you look at the NIT man, like SMU scored like six points in the first half. I mean, it was a little bit better than that, but it was like thirty to six at one point uh like and then you know even in the uh the norfolk uh, app state game 0 for 15 from three in the third first half 
Thankfully, we did hit that first half under 62 and a half going off of the big stadium effect. And that was something that I didn't even think about until you brought up on the podcast. So, I mean, that that win there for me, 100 percent attributed to, to the thought you brought up. So I appreciate that. Yeah, so it'll be interesting. Again, something not to go crazy with, but watch the trend. You know, you never know. I think just looking at these four teams and again, the not unexpectedly the same total that went over at the half was the total that went over full game just kind of where that thing was trending uh but you could target this a few ways right if if something does go low and and slow you could look at a second half over depending Mm -hmm. on where that line pops out uh that might have been the move in the drake wichita state i don't have all the numbers because those lines are tougher to find once they they disappear but you had you know 41 points scored at halftime uh they still did eventually get up to 105 so you know the pace picked up a bit um but UCLA and Michigan State soared over. Another thing to watch. I don't know if it does this have some, anything to do with some of the larger, you know, squads, the power conferences, right? Michigan State and UCLA didn't seem to have as much of an issue with it as some of these smaller schools, right? Mount St. Mary's, Texas Southern, Drake, Wichita State, Norfolk State, Appala- Appalachian State. Those are all different conferences, different squads. So, yeah, teams that play in a high school gym versus teams that right. don't. <laughs> right. <laughs> You know, I think what'll be interesting as well, Ant, is you know looking at let's talk about you know Drake and uh, and UCLA, right? Yeah. You know, all teams that are pretty good. They've played a game now in the big stadium. They seem to figure it out in the second half. Does that give them an edge in the first half of these of these games today and tomorrow, going against teams that haven't played in the stadium yet? Yeah, I think it certainly could. You know, not just it, it's the stadium effect, and also just the getting loose, maybe putting some of the the you know the fears, the jitters behind them, right? Because they've also been on the stage already. They've already earned a spot in. They've got a game under their belt. Um, so I, I definitely think something interesting to watch, especially in the first half, like you mentioned. Yeah, it's one of those things that it's like, you know, a good anecdotal trend. It feels good. We've seen it over four bets. Um, you know, hard for me to ever really, really go too deep. Obviously, <laughs> went and played App State, but uh, that, it always is a little uneasy not having a sample size that, that you can trust. But early results, for sure, looking promising. Right. The other thing to watch with these games, we saw it in the play-ins, but I, I we bring it up because I don't think it was just a factor in the play-ins. It's largely been a factor you've seen all year in college hoops and to some degree in the NBA too because I've been suffering from it and benefiting from it. But second half melts, right? So again, we don't want to spend too much time on this, but you could look for live opportunities or second half opportunities with some of these squads and some of these teams. Texas Southern down 10 at halftime, outscores Mount St. Mary's by 18 to win the game. Drake, this one was interesting. Again, I don't have all the data points. It was close throughout. It was close at halftime, but there was also stretches where they were down big. You mentioned it with some of the droughts. Uh, they end up storming back. I think they were as high as a plus nine and a half point favorite mm-hmm. live at some point. They win the game. App State down 16 at halftime, outscores uh, their opponent by 15, Norfolk, in the second half to fall short. Ultimately, they didn't get the win, but again, another huge split. And then, of course, Michigan State, the final game. They were up 11 at halftime, blew that lead to UCLA. Game goes to overtime. They get outscored 9-3 to three in overtime. So in all these cases, you had huge swings um, you know, in, in the spreads, in the splits, and, and what happened with these games. Yeah, I mean, pretty wild, man. To quote my main man, Sir Isaac Newton, every action is an equal and opposite reaction, right? You know, it's a game of runs. If somebody punches, the other team will punch back, and that's a perfect – well, hopefully we'll punch back. Right. Uh, but to your point, perfect time to grab that live line. Yeah. Didn't do too much of that yesterday. Should have done more of it. Uh, it would have been free money kind of across the board. So I think if it's one of those games that you have two teams graded, you know, pretty similarly and, and that run happens a, a perfect time to uh, sprinkle a few hay pennies, if nothing else on the, uh, on your side, uh, on the live line. Yeah. Super fair. So I think that brings us to what everyone is really here for. Do we start with the head to head and end on a, on, on the treaty? 
Yeah, let's do it. Let's right. dive right in. Oregon versus VCU. This is the last game tomorrow night, 9.57 tip, assuming all games end on time. Ant, kick us off. So a tough matchup, right? A, a 10-7. So seeding-wise, uh, you know, you're not seeing huge discrepancies. Two decent conferences, uh, Pac-12 down a little bit this year. Uh, A-10, always solid. Um, but Oregon does come in first in the Pac-12 from the regular season. They did not win the conference tournament. They were upset uh, in the semis against their rival, uh, Oregon State. Um, but before that, and this is what I'm really keying in on, and I think I'm going to lead you to some some good points uh, that you mentioned um, in your notes and as we talked beforehand. Oregon was 11-1 um, and one in their previous 12 games heading into the tournament. Um before that Oregon state loss. Right. Mm -hmm. So they got rolling. A lot of that had to deal with, with health. Um, they had some guys out earlier in the year, Will Richardson, really their floor general. And then uh, Chris Duarte who had missed some time as well. Uh, funny enough, he missed the game that Richardson came back to. He ended up leaving with an ankle injury and and they lost that game. And then really that kicked off a, a run for them. He missed one game after that, that they won. And then he gets back in the lineup. Will Richardson gets back in the lineup. And I loved what you saw from this team. Again, I recognize it was against the Pac-12, but still a little bit stronger st strength of schedule uh, compared to the A-10 there. Uh, so one of the big things I'm keying in on is obviously the health and I think what this team can do at full strength. I'm really treating that Oregon State rival loss in a tough you know, spot, much like the Georgetown of the Big East. I think Oregon State got hot at the right time. Anything can happen in a rivalry game. We, we mentioned any given Saturday, any given Sunday before. Um, but, you know, getting into the data a little bit and, and I'll kick it over to you. Like one of my concerns with this game is the defensive matchup. Uh, VCU is the best defense uh, adjusted defensive strength wise that uh, Oregon has faced all year. And I think that's something you want to point out a little bit too. Yeah, man. I think that's a huge X factor here. Um, you know, VCU is 118 on offense. Oregon is 15 on offense. VCU on defense is 11 and Oregon is 75. So you've got a, a movable object, you know, meeting an unstoppable force, a classic offensive versus defense here. Um, but, you know, I think what Oregon does well is obviously they shoot the ball, right? This offense fires in all cylinders, 19th in overall three-point percentage, 37.9%, not bad. 58th in terms of two-point percentage at 529 You know, both very, very strong statistics, but thankfully VCU defends both of those well. They're number 30th in the league uh, in terms of opponent three-point percentage and number 45th in two-point. Uh, a couple other things about the VCU defense, number fourth in block percentage, number three in steal percentage. So they're just a scrappy team here, right? Uh, but I was looking specifically at kind of the Oregon losses, right? The you, you look at who they lost to, specifically their defensive ranking, Missouri, number 58, Colorado, number 28, Oregon State, pretty much the only outlier here, 117, Washington State, number 34, USC, number 20. BCU, number 11. I think that's super, super interesting. And we look at average margin of victory for Oregon. And I didn't factor in, you know, health of, of players at all here. So that's, that's definitely a good caveat um, that they got hot with, with people coming in and out of the lineup here. But uh, looking at individuals, uh, Oregon's are, or, excuse me, Oregon's average margin of victory uh, from the 30 to 50 ranked teams was five. So right there, that's kind of where I think we're getting our line from at five. Um, but, you know, looking a little bit deeper from that, when we look at margin of victory from teams with a defense in the top 50 for Oregon, that's zero. We expand that to the top 100, it's 1.77, and you expand that beyond that 100 to 150, it's 9.16. So it looks like 
all of their big wins here essentially are coming against our, our larger average, you know, margins of victory are coming against subpar opponents. Uh, and every one of those games against those good defenses has been within a basket. So at that point, that's where I'm loving VCU here at, at plus five, getting two and a half baskets or, or two if you count the three. But uh, nonetheless, I think the, 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 the VCU defense here, looking at how Oregon has played against elite defenses in the league, uh, is going to be what brings us home. Yeah, one of the big concerning matchups for me, because obviously I wanted to look at this from both sides, was the uh, you know the USC loss again. That was, I think they were nineteenth compared to that eleventh comp or or in that range. You know they got beat down, and that was within this run. So that was probably the most concerning loss. Um, you know that was seventy two fifty eight back on February twenty second. Uh, Colorado, um, they they beat and then lost to you know again two different games. They won by four. Uh, the Washington State loss was before a lot of these these players got back. That was all the way back on February 4th. Um, and the loss to Colorado that I just mentioned was back on January 7th. So, again, the health. So there's definitely a caveat and a factor there. Um, you know, would I have loved to have this line at, at two or three? Yes, but I'm kind of comfortable up to that, you know, five and a half, half six range. Um, so I grabbed a five early. I saw some five and a halves. Uh, one other thing the comps to VCU overall, which you mentioned and how you were looking at this too, VCU uh, on Ken Palm overall is 45th. If you look at some of the teams that are clustered around there, there are some PAC 12 teams that I think were good. Uh, Arizona 43rd and then UCLA 44th, but butting right up against them. Um, luckily for me and the data again, that I'm kind of pointing to Oregon swept that series. They beat uh, Arizona 63, 61. Obviously that's within the five points that we're talking about. Then they won 80 to 69 and then they beat up on UCLA 82, 74. So again, you can look at this from, from all angles and all different points. For me, I just think even with the defense, I think it's still going to be a little too much offense, uh, hopefully for, for VCU to keep up with. Yeah, certainly a fine analysis. You know, I think one last thing that I liked about VCU here, uh, you know, against teams ranked in the 30 to 50th rank, their average margin of victory was a loss by one. So there again, I thought that five was too many. Right. Uh, and looking at totals in, in terms of corollary to, to outcomes, the total of this game is 130.7. Uh, totals under 140 for VCU. Their average margin of victory was 6.27 points. Totals over 140. That margin decreases to 4.25 points. So getting almost a basket better in, in quote, low-scoring games, I think that, again, speaks to this this defense from VCU. So I locked VCU plus 5, minus 105. Um, and uh, we'll see, baby. I have divided. Head-to-head, we'll put uh, we'll put some, some fun bets on this. We'll get it out into the sphere. We don't know what we're going to oh, yeah. do yet, but we'll do something. Good stuff. And that takes us to our other bet where we're, we're aligned here. Florida State minus 10 and a half, minus 105 is what I locked it in. And, you know, for me, I'm uh, short-term memory loss here. I had Florida State versus Georgia Tech on the first half. They had 15 turnovers, the most of the season by a long shot. So I'm going back to the well. You know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Uh, but I don't expect to be fooled twice here. You know, you look at overall Ken Palm ratings, uh, Florida State 13, UNGC. Uh, CG, excuse me, 109th. And, you know, there's some pretty large deltas on both sides of the ball. Florida State, number 10 on offense, number 47th on defense. Uh, Greensboro here, number 127th on offense, 65th on defense. So, that's the concerning uh, one, I think, is that offense. I just don't know what they do against uh, – uh, that's going to get even worse, right, against the quality, long, experienced uh, defense of Florida State. Yeah, 100%. And you look at what UNCG is good at here. They're good at scoring from two points. They're they're 312th in terms of uh, three-point percentage. Obviously mediocre there. But they're 148th in terms of two-pointers. So way better from two. But 
Florida State here is great at defending the two. They're uh, eliminating opponents to 44%, 11th in the league, one of the top defensive units in the paint, uh, and that feels pretty good. So, you know, for me, I, I wanted to look at similarly ranked results, obviously no common opponents. Uh, you know, FSU only had really one bad loss this year to UCF in December. Perhaps you can include Notre Dame there at number 78, but the rest of their losses have been against top 50 squads, Clemson, Georgia Tech, North Carolina. And, and looking at those teams of losses, they're elite in, in more or less one category, and that was either on offense or defense. UNGC is not elite in either of those. Notre Dame offense was 21st, Clemson defense number 19th. Georgia Tech, pretty good on both, 25th and, 80th, and 51st, uh, and North Carolina on defense, 12th. So every one of those has had like a standout statistic that's made them really good. Um, and they've cleaned up against teams that had any sort of a UNGC uh, rankings. I think the last point I like, or, or looking at those rankings, you know, Florida State's average margin of victory is 12.6. If you remove that UFC loss or UCF loss, which was on uh, the 12th or the 19th of December, so really, really early season, uh, that balloons up to 17.6. Uh, and you look at their average margin of victory against teams that are ranked in 50 to 150, which is right where UNCG is, average margin of victory there is 20. So I just don't think 10 and a half is enough. Yeah, no, I at? went back and looked at the same, some of those same trends and some of the opponents in that range. I mean, they beat up on Miami by 22, then by 17. They beat up on uh, Boston College by 29. Wake Forest, who slides a little bit you know, further down, uh, was a win by seven. You know, you kind of throw out the Notre Dame loss in this, and anyone in that similar range, whether it's overall or some of the offensive and defensive similarities, you know, this team beat up on. So I, I do agree with you even, you know, laying – the 10, 10 and a half is, is always a little concerning, could come down late to free throws and stuff like that. But I, I truly don't think this one is close, even if it's close early on. Yeah. And the last point I really like here is, you know, obviously UNCG has played nobody. You know, that's the, kind of the common theme of some of these lower ranked teams. But looking at average opponent rank 178, but looking at their win margin by like tier, uh, you look at the teams that they played who are ranked within 200 and 300, they won by 12 on average. You look at 150 to 200. That drops to 9.25. Uh, and then the smallest delta here, you look at 98 to 149th, which is just the rest of their games. That drops to 0 0.37. So what happens when we jump from 98th to 13th? I think that's going to be a pretty big gap. 12 to 9.25 to 0 0.03 to what you know you do the math but i think that's bigger than 10 and a half yeah and you can't forget right obviously it, it doesn't always play out this way that's why you see upsets that's why anything can happen that's why you you cue the music right thank you cbs but you know this team hasn't been there florida state has uh these guys come back with some experience they graduated uh three i think to the nba last year um off of a team that was actually ranked much even a little bit higher uh, you know, in their conference in the ACC, we didn't have the benefit of a tourney and watching them in action. But you love what Leonard Hamilton has done with this program. He's been there since 2002, um, 2003, after a brief stint, which I completely forgot, uh, coaching the Washington Wizards in the NBA. Um, but once he got back to the college game, uh, and shout out Punisher Picks and, and the Oklahoma State Cowboys, where Leonard Williams got his start, or Leonard Hamilton got his start, but they had a, a solid run and really a good roster between 2008 and 2012. Um, then went down a little bit, but they've bounced back in 2016. They were in the round of 32, 2017, the Elite Eight, uh, 2018, the Sweet 16. Like I said last year, no tournament. But you, you know, these guys, and especially some of this roster, has experience. Leonard Hamilton uh, has experience, and I like what Florida State's done this year. I actually have them going pretty far in some brackets, but I, I like the getting the job done here at 10 and a half. I love it. I love it. Good stuff. So a house, a house divided and a house united there. Florida State. 
10 and a half minus 105 is what I locked it in at. I'm on VCU plus five minus 105. And of course, on the other side there. That's right. That's right. But that brings us to our final segment. A little bit of a wrap up that we wanted to have some fun. And we're coming into this blind, uh, completely blind. So we're going to talk a little bracketology, right? Uh, Method to the madness. Yeah, we're bringing in our producer here, Emily, who has put together a bracket uh, based on some some pretty hard hitting analysis, and she's got some uh, some real X factors. Em, would love for you to walk us through uh, you. how you came up with your picks, and then we can uh, run through the bracket. Neither of us have seen this bracket yet, so it should be uh, should be an interesting exercise. I'm zooming in. Honestly, um, I made a lot of decisions based on uh, some really irrelevant criteria. Um, I first of all, just for everyone listening, I don't know anything about college basketball. Um, That's usually I, the key. Yeah. Um, so I made a lot of my decisions based on um, where the school is and if I like their colors and if I know anyone that goes there and if I know anyone that goes there or went there, if I like them. And I looked up a lot of the rosters and if I thought a lot of their players were good looking, I would choose that school. I didn't do that for every school because obviously that would have been a lot of work. But when like I got close to the end, I was that's I did that. Um, and their mascots, if I thought their mascot was weird, um, definitely would have them lose. So, um, what do yeah, you guys? So exactly think? how you draw up any sort of analysis on a bracket, but that's the beauty of March Madness, right? You can literally close your eyes, throw a dart, and win the bracket because anything can happen. And you know, giving it a quick ocular pat down, I agree with most of these picks. I like uh, yeah, these are solid. Know, these are I'm, I'm impressed. You know? Yeah, like the 13 Ohio over Virginia. You know, I think that's a, a, an upset we all could see. Um, you know, picks that stand out here that I don't love. Uh, I think Florida State's going to clean up against UNGC at the four versus 13. Obviously, we just went deep on there. Uh, you've got Maryland over UConn. I think that's a good upset to pick. Um, what else? What else? I don't like Villanova going as far as you have them, but I do like them in the first round. You know, they are missing their their starting uh, starting uh, point guard, uh, but I do think they're better than they're getting credit to be. So you've got Villanova Baylor. riding all the way through, right? Yeah, I know That's, a lot of people that go. So there. what was the is? Well, let me just ask: Was the X factor there? How good looking their coach is? Because it's it's probably oh. a, a known fact that Jay Wright is the best looking coach in America. I didn't look at their coaches. I forgot about that. Yeah, that could have been. Wow. That could have swung it. Wow. We're That's a whole layer of analysis. <laughs> yeah, you've got two minutes before the first game's tip, so you better get on that. Um. Uh, but uh, I actually like the Alabama pick overall. I mean, I think it's a little bit more of a dark horse, but you're not the only one out there, and that team can really? get hot. They play defense. Yeah, I mean, you know, again, more of a long shot, but I, I think it's possible. I've got Bama in the final four, so hopefully there that, you one, go. that one rips. <laughs> yeah, other other notable things. Let's see. What is the final four? The final four is Nova, Gonzaga, Alabama, West Virginia. I mean, besides like Jeff mentioned, disagreeing probably on the on the Villanova side, I think those other three are all possible uh, winners of their region. So well, well done. Oh, wow. Yeah, for yeah. sure. The other key thing I think is you also picked Oregon against VCU, which I think is very important. You probably had them covering a five-point spread as well, right? Um, I'm not sure what that means. <laughs> so the answers were sounding no. <laughs> Emily is team VCU on the spread, even though she likes them to win and move on. I love it. Well, uh, good luck, Em. Uh, I hope your bracket wins yeah. and you well, win. I'll, a... I'll update everyone next week and see how I'm doing. Yeah, yeah we'll 100%. Do live, live looks at it. Live look in to the sharpest bracket in all of America. 
Anyway, guys, thank you so much for listening. This is Short-Term High Volatility Investments, day two analysis coming at you. Any questions, comments, concerns, beers that you're drinking, wings that you're eating, sunglasses that Ant just put on, do hit us up on Twitter. This is Jeff Sheesby, a.k.a. The Old Man Who Bets, alongside my main man, Ant Latino, the odds fellow. Short-Term High Volatility Investments, let's cash some bets. p.m. Own your future. Start this minute. 1.37 p.m. is a Gallery Media Group original production.